to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that, over that. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, as we continue with, I'll tell you, one of the most horrific actions in the criminal justice system that we have seen, the injustice of the IRP-5, what happened, what took place that has brought us to this moment now that the truth would be known? We're going to hear from the RP5 tonight as we continue the story of the RP5. Folks, hang on to your seats. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Samson Riddle. William Williams and the IRP5, David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clint Stewart. And uh, we're excited tonight as, I'll tell you what, this has been one unfolding saga, but make no mistake about it, this is reality. And we are talking tonight as we continue, David, going down this path of the actions by 
federal judge, Christine Arguello, along with the AUSA, uh, Matthew Kirst, Sonetta Hazra, as well as John Walsh at the time, who came together and bring a, bringing around this injustice. David, how important is it tonight, if you want to lay out for our listeners exactly where we are going tonight, that they go on this journey with us? Well, first thing we want to talk about is that the Department of Justice and elements of the Department of Justice are not what they appear to be. Uh, and they don't operate as advertised as you see on television. Uh, and just as you see in police departments, you have rogue actors engaged in, in unlawful behavior for police brutality and the like. The same exists in the federal government. The RP6 case and our imprisonment, our indictment, our imprisonment, it was a, a railroad job 100%. And we have the evidence to prove it. We want America to know what this system is truly all about. And how can a prosecutor and a judge uh, engage in, a, in railroading innocent people into prison? And we have the, the, the evidence to prove it. Uh, Americans need to understand. They need to really, uh, truly believe and don't give the benefit of the doubt to the government because you don't give benefit of the doubt to the government to people who have that kind of power that they're not going to abuse that power. And that was said by Lord Acton, uh, uh, 18th century, 18th, 19th century ethical uh, moralist about people of power. Power corrupts absolutely, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So people really need to be realized that this stuff goes on, and don't just take it for granted because somebody's indicted. People are indicted every day. You hear it on the news. Don't take it for granted these people are guilty. The government is capable. Prosecutors are capable of some very unsavory and unethical actions, and uh, make no mistake, you could end up in prison very, very easily knowing you're innocent, and uh, you'll, you'll be sitting back watching prosecutors and judges railroad you into prison. Make no mistake about it. That happens here in America. No, without question. And uh, let me be clear on this. Uh, the actions uh, that we were discussing moments ago uh, in regards to this judge, judge, federal judge Christine Arguello, to over and over again refuse testimony facts to counter the prosecution the government of the united states anything anybody that knows anything about litigation or trials there are two theories of a case the theory of the prosecution or the government of the united states in a federal case and the theory of the defense that is able to put on the theory a theory of what they believe are the events that happen and the opportunity to counter the other's information. In this case, Federal Judge Christine Arguello refused at every turn to allow the RP5 to say, listen, the government is saying this, this is our counter. The government is saying this, this is our counter. So you give a complete blank check, if you will, for the government of the United States to say whatever they want to say and make the RP5, the defendants in this case, to remain silent. Do not challenge. 
do not say this is not true. But I give you the room to call and question the character of these men. To say that these men didn't have any real software anyway. But when the defendants, the RP5, began to speak to that, she shut them down. The question is, why is that? Is it because it was clear that the government of the United States, John Walsh, Matthew Kirsch, Sonetta Hazra, were actually guilty of not having a case? So they went to the referee and basically asked them to throw the game. That's what it is. We're going to dig into all of that. The other side of this break is tonight, AJC Radio continues to turn the pages back. And they're titled, The Pages of Injustice. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. I don't have to tell you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Today, you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes, and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African-American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options are. Learn more at AskScreenKnow.com. I surrender, I surrender. All right, pal. Get ready for the day, buddy. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Do we have a gun? What's up? Do we have a gun? Why do you ask that, kiddo? Can I play with it? No, no, absolutely not. It's not a toy. You know that. Do I? I bet it looks like one. Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV. But what about the eight kids who get shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe, too. Where'd you hear that? TV. Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where do you keep it? (laughs) It's hidden. I bet it's on top shelf of the closet under your sweatshirt. Is it loaded? It's not. I, I keep the bullets. In the boots with the red laces and the chest beside the bed. I haven't found them yet, but I'm sure I can. You always told me to be curious. Remember when I found my Christmas gifts? I'm a good climber, you know. No. No, that's not what I meant. Look, I, I need to be ready if someone breaks in. But what about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I can use a gun to protect her. No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough. What if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun. Our gun? No, buddy. My gun. But it is our gun in our home. Happens all the time. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you. But, Dad... You're not always here. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters 
our wives, and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a lot. is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi everyone, I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. 
If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. Welcome back to AJC Radio tonight, folks, as we continue really the unmasking, if you will, of a system that many people call the greatest system in the world. we got news for you. That bus left the station, and I'm not sure the bus ever arrived when it came to a clear, fair criminal justice system in this country. Uh, what we have learned is that there is a deep-rooted culture uh, problem within the criminal justice system and i'll tell you what tonight we have the poster child of that type of injustice and that's in regard to the rp5 david banks demetrius harper kendrick barnes dave zapolo clint stewart are in studio tonight along with the ajc radio team as we continue this story uh and letting that story be told david you were wanting to really uh take our listeners on a trip here and, and paint a picture if you will of where we pick this up tonight go ahead now, we're going to start off with the indictment that the government uh, set out and the central charge in their indictment that they said uh, that we were engaged in criminal activity. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I'm reading straight from the indictment, which says, uh, let me lay a little background first. Uh, we use staffing companies, uh, temporary agencies, if you will, and contract labor to do work at our company on our software for engagement. Uh, projects, uh, pre-contract projects related to uh, the Department of Homeland Security and NYPD uh, as far as the two largest agencies are concerned. Now, these staffing companies, as you know, uh, they provide temporary labor. A lot of people have worked for staffing companies. They provide temporary labor. Uh, They contract you out to a company and they build the company back for the hours worked. Very uh, uh, standard, well-known transaction in the business world uh, that most Americans are aware of. Now, the government claimed in the indictment uh, that we, Banks, Harper, Stewart, Zerpolo, uh and Barnes, in essence, induced staffing companies to sign on to do business with us to provide us contract labor based on us allegations that we made false representations that our company had a large current or impending contract with one or more large government, specifically law enforcement agencies, including the United States Department of Homeland Security, uh, Bureau of Prisons, Department of Justice, New York City Police Department. All of these were actually listed in the indictment. 
So at trial, the government's job was to say, okay, these guys, the only reason these staffing companies did business and extended credit to these, to our company, IRP Solutions, was because we falsely represented that we had a large or impending contract. Uh, So we're going to take off and lay the foundation that that's what we'll start off discussing. Now, during trial, the government did not prove that any false statements were made. In fact, the government called 20 witnesses from staffing companies that admitted that, they, first of all, they, those witnesses specifically did not make the decision to do business with us, but their credit departments did. So in essence, uh, similarly, if you go to a bank or a car dealer and you fill out a credit application and they approve you for credit, that's based on your credit history. And our argument was, look, we got extended credit, not based on any false representation, we can't no we can no more go to a staffing company and say we have a large government contract uh and and get uh credit extended than the average person can go to a car dealership and say i got i'm getting paid a million a year and then get extended credit they're going to check your credit so uh they these companies extended us credit uh and if they was going to extend some companies turned us down many companies turned us down we only work with the companies that would extend us credit uh, the government says, well, you had no intention of pay. You just extended and kept getting credit accounts without without the ability to pay. No, but and you'll hear some more about that. We anticipated receiving a, a government contract, and we had every reason to believe we we're going to get that government contract. And that, that kind of lays the foundation for wh- where we're about to take off and discuss the theory of the government's case and, and to break it down and defeat it line by line. Well, let me... Let me tell you what is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. If I go into a bank and want a line of credit, well, if they approve me a line of credit, then going to David's point, you can't come in and say, well, you have, you, you have no intent to pay that. Number one, it's none of your business. I haven't got my first statement yet. So how are you going to make an assumption what I'm not going to do? And if, if they extend me a line of credit, well, you didn't, you didn't have any intention to pay. Well, how do you know that? How do you make that statement? So if somebody gives me a line of credit on a, on a debit card, and, and, and I'll go here, home equity loans are that way. They'll put it on a debit card. Uh, you got to pay payments every month because equity has been taken from the house. For somebody to come and say, well, you have no intention to pay, number one, you're not the bank. The bank said, we're entrusting you with this. You have a certain amount of time to pay those back based upon that, Kendrick. And you got to take that argument a step further because yeah. then it's like saying, going with your logic, it's also like saying, hey, I went to your boss and told him to fire you and then say you had no intention to pay. Because that's exactly what the government did is they went to any potential customer and client, which was law enforcement agencies, and told them I wouldn't touch these guys because they're under investigation. So how do you say, hey, don't look at their software because we're investigating them. Then you do a self-fulfilling prophecy in your own indictment and say, well, they had no intention to, they had no intention to pay. Well, you can't support it. You can't support it. 
Um, so they went and basically told companies before an indictment came down. Yes. yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, they were interfering with our business. So <laughs> if if your customer is law enforcement mm-hmm. and you go to that law enforcement customer and say these people are under investigation, well, that's law enforcement speaking to law enforcement. We're not going to want to do business with them. Well, if, if you were conducting an investigation, why don't you let it play out and then let that company do, and, and, if, and if we're shown to be a fraud to that law enforcement agency that we're dealing with, then that fraud's going to be exposed and you can bring an indictment at any time that these guys, uh, the, the other law enforcement agency is going to contact you and say these guys were in this fraud enough. They said we had the software. They didn't have the software. But none of that ever, none well, of that ever occurred. And, and, well, just, and just a quick one. Well, Microsoft's been under investigation by the federal government. So has IBM. Oracle's been under investigation by the federal government. Does that mean we get rid of every Microsoft computer in the building because they're under investigation? But here's the problem. Clint, I think you got a point I'm going to come right to you. Is the definition of prosecutional misconduct is when a prosecutor or a representative of the government of the United States leaves the role of prosecutor what, and that's prosecutional misconduct and Clint, let me come to you I know you had a point we we're talking about how bizarre uh, it was to basically the theory of the government's case uh, coming out saying that basically uh, these companies extended you uh, credit uh, for your business yes absolutely and they're not the only ones we right. had Equipment leasing companies extend us credit where we're making payments on the equipment that we were using to run the business, office furniture, et cetera, et cetera. We had actual sales from revenues and other monies that were supporting the business. We're making payments on those equipment lease contracts. Okay, so the government investigated us, knew that, knew that we were making those payments in excess $10,000 a month. Okay, those types of payments show good faith effort to run a business. The general administration expenses of the business were being paid monthly. Light bill was being paid. You know, heating bill was being paid. Rent was being paid. The, the building that we didn't own it, we're paying our lease payment, paying equipment lease. So it, it's a legitimate business here right. that's operating. Right, and those are, those are business costs. Yes. Uh, to know, this is what makes it so egregious. To know that, how do you then, it, other than a complete modern-day lynching, uh, that's what's going on here. If those things are in place, like every other business, you felt a need to target the RP5. Dave, go ahead. And during trial, uh, AUSA Kirsch then brought up those payments and said that that was the furtherance of the scheme. So he was making out like because we were making payments, we were still doing something illegal. So we, we were stuck on both ends where if we didn't make payments, we were, we were criminals. You. And if we were making payments, we were criminals. So we just, the RP5 simply woke up one morning and said, look, let's go ahead and get some debt in our, in our, in our lives. Let's go ahead and go down to this building down here. We're going to lease that building. Let's go ahead and fly out to New York City, to Philadelphia. Let's all over the country, around the world, let's just do this because it will help our scheme. And let's, this is the kicker. Why don't we go ahead and hire former law enforcement 
agents of the FBI and law enforcement and say, you know what, this is all about the scheme. Let me say this. Any judge that would allow that nonsense, you should be in the world of comedy because there is no validity to that on any level. That is what makes it so egregious. And let me be clear, it turned out not to be a comedy at all because these men spent eight years in a federal prison because of the so-called nonsense of federal judge Christine Arguello and the joking office of the U.S. Attorney's Office led by John Walsh, AUSA Matthew Kirst, and uh, uh, Susanna uh, Hazra. This was all part, you have to be insane to even, that, that's no wonder the question was from the people that are just calls talked to in Washington, D.C., members on the Hill, law firm agency said, where is the crime? This is horrible. David, very interesting. You talk about uh, that we hired federal agents. Now, this right here cuts to the core of the government's charge. Who is in the middle of committing a criminal scheme, invite federal agents into their building to come work with them? This is what the government's case was predicated on. Okay, so you believe nobody, unless you fell off a truck yesterday and hit your head uh, real bad, nobody's going to believe that a criminal guys engaged in criminal activity contacts federal law enforcement. We contacted the Denver division of the FBI after our Senator Ben Nighthorse Campbell referred us to that division to hire on federal agents as subject matter experts to help us develop the software. Now, one now two weeks before the government raided our business. Now, you're talking about he received a letter from one of these agents that had been working for the business for a year as an independent contractor. He signed in, his name was Mr. Gary Hillberry. Uh, he used to run Immigrations and Customs. He was head of Immigrations and Customs Enforcement in Denver, a 30-year career in law enforcement. He sent a letter to, before they read it, our business to the, to the FBI. The letter said, IRP Solutions, truly had a viable law enforcement product and appeared to be moving forward to acquire state and federal law enforcement contracts for their product. So we decided to continue to assist in the effort, and they were working to be paid upon the sales of software. These federal agents, not only Hillberry, another federal agent named John uh, Epke and Dwayne Fuselay, these were senior FBI officials and Department of Homeland Security officials who believed in the product and knew we had a great product and said they decided they would stay on for no money to assist in our effort to acquire state and federal contracts. So these were not folks fresh out of the academy. I mean, you know what I mean? These are senior FBI pedigree, if you will. 30 years? 30 years. This is this is absolutely insane. Now, no wonder the reputation of the FBI 
is what it is. This is the insanity of it. And for anybody, if you went to school, period. Matter of fact, let's take that off the table. I'd have to go to school to figure out if I'm a criminal, I'm going to hire law enforcement. Not just law enforcement. The most powerful law enforcement in the land, the FBI. Not only that, senior FBI agents. And somebody bought that? This is the narrative they painted. Well, and this another fact is this was two weeks before, the, before he raided our business, where the FBI raided. They received this letter from Gary Hilberry, uh, who head up Immigrations and Customs Enforcement in Denver. And then they filed an affidavit stating we were a purported software company. Now, Hilberry's telling them we have a viable law enforcement product, which legitimizes our company. And as Clinton was speaking a minute ago, everything we did was legitimate. We had bills like any other company. Yeah. And, but they still took it upon themselves in essence, to falsify a, a search warrant or affidavit and say, well, this is a, they're purporting to be a software company. So Gary Hilberry, the senior, uh, senior federal agent from Immigration and Customs in Denver, the most senior agent, special agent in charge, said we had a viable law enforcement product. Why do we have to, we're not deceiving anybody. This is who we were. We had a great product and people extended credit to us because we were legitimate. So question, David. And any of the RP5 before that they can chime in on this. So these men came to work at RP Solution saying we this product is of such uh, nature. This product is so well done. We will work until payday comes because they believed in that product. Make no mistake about it, folks. These men have to put food on the table. We just come in to work for these guys out of the goodness of our heart and say, no, we'll just work. We'll just work for nothing right now. What causes that, there was something seen. There was something clear that this software, and as a senior FBI uh, agent, he saw something that was going somewhere. Therefore, he committed himself to say, we believe in this product. This is something that is good. It can help this nation. We will be a part of this. How do you then, and let me guess, Judge Christina Bell didn't allow that statement to be in, put in a trial, was it? Well, actually, we called him as a witness. But by that time, he didn't, Mr. Hilberry, unfortunately, didn't want to admit to what was in his affidavit. When I asked him, did he make the statement in his affidavit that IRP Solutions had truly had a viable law enforcement product? This is a direct quote from him in his affidavit. Uh, he, he turned to the judge, Arguello, and says, do I have to answer that? Uh, absolutely, you have to answer it because it's an affidavit of your own words. Plus, she let him read a prepared written statement on the stand. So anytime we ask him a question, he just read off a piece of paper. His only answer he's going to give us. And this is like, well, where's the – if anybody's done this to the government, this is consent to court. You well, have to answer the question. Was the witness impeached? No. A number of witnesses were impeached, and we'll get to that, where the, where the, where 
the government's case, Judge Arguello should have uh, dismissed the government's case because every witness, Judge Arguello even admitted on the stand that we impeached all their witnesses, yet she refused to drop the case. So the government's witnesses didn't prove this case. They didn't prove what the government's charges were, and that, that was what the government was supposed to do. Judge Arguello had an obligation to dismiss the case under Rule 29C when the government failed to prove its case. But she allowed it to go on, and the railroad job continued. Well, look, I'm looking unbelievable. You have a senior FBI agent calls as a defense witness, right? Yes. He's a defense witness. Let me tell you something. Let me explain to our listeners just in case. An affidavit is as powerful with you out of the building to a jury. You don't have to be in the – if there's a sworn affidavit, you don't even have to come to court. Your affidavit will hold up in court as fact. Period. Judge Arguello wouldn't let us submit that into evidence, that affidavit. And, and my – you have got to be kidding me. So an affidavit on the record is not allowed for the jury to see. Which, number one – and, Clint, I'm coming right to you, and Demetrius, I'm coming to you. You know what that says? The affidavit, if allowed to the jury, a senior FBI official of 30 years – said these men had a viable product. Case done. Not guilty comes back. Automatically. Because the jury says, man, if this is a FBI agent, with that comes the prestige of the office. And because she wouldn't allow that into evidence, then the jury is not allowed to use that as part of their decision-making process. It's it's just a crooked circle all the way around. Demetrius, and into those points that you mentioned, every time we want to uh, introduce evidence, she denied it time and time again. Not only did she deny it, she also reprimanded us to say we will not allow anything that highlights the software. This is an open court. That the highlights of software, and we will keep it at 2005 per the search warrant. All the things that were happening on, after the fact on intent. The way you, like you said, Lamont, uh, earlier, if we wanted to prove our case, we have to have a defense. She said, I will not allow anything regarding the software or any impending sales. Well, the, the AUSA curse says we never intended, but we have documentation upon documentation on. Uh, people excited about the software going to purchase the software. She said, I will not allow that as evidence. Clint. You know, another thing, as, as David mentioned, uh, another thing that was, was uh, not allowed as evidence was the FBI's letter responding to a formal complaint by one of the staffing companies five months after the race. He said, can I get my money? The, the FBI formally answered him in writing a letter signed by the uh, special agent in charge, you would be well advised to seek civil remedy for this. In other words, there's not a crime here. Now, she did not allow that to be seen by the jury either. So it was a complete railroad job. If you would allow that to be seen by the, but it, it, it begs the question, 
how is the prosecutor bringing this to how did they get an indictment? The FBI themselves said this is not a crime. You'd be well advised to seek a civil remedy. Did not allow that letter to be seen by the jury either. And this is Dave Banks. And another thing, on two occasions, the lead FBI agent, which going by the name of John Smith, given what's happened here, you wonder if that's even his name. Uh, he, in open court and during proceedings, he said twice under oath, if they had to pay their debt, they wouldn't be here right now. Well, stop the presses right there. Listen, look. The judge says we will not allow you to mention anything about the software. Is that, did, I, did I get that right? The whole argument of the government's case is that these men have no software. The counter of that, my theory as a defense, is to say this is the software. This is a viable product, according to special agent of 30 years. Well, you might as well keep the courtroom shut and said guilty on day one, because that was the actions of this judge. Let me be very clear. Federal Judge Christine Arguello should not be on the bench. This is criminal justice system 101. Elementary. I'm allowed to put on the defense. A defendant is innocent until proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The presumption of innocence lies with the defendant. But yet Christine Arguello, federal judge, in the RP5 case, tied the hands of these defendants at every turn, costing them eight years of freedom. We continue after this. It's getting hot in here, folks. Hang on. We'll be right back. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. There's a lot of mud when it rains. 
bombs here and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off in school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America.
I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we, we have, have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We, we can, can make, make a difference. There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you are the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. And I'll tell you what, this story becomes more and more horrific as we get into the facts and the actions of a federal judge and the U.S. Attorney's Office. I am absolutely, listen, we've been telling this story, but the first time Hearing it directly from the RP5 is something I'm blown away with right now. And, David, we were talking earlier uh, on the break in regards to another action that showed the exact bias and unequal justice done in this case regarding another case. Uh, David, go ahead and share that with our listeners. Well, in 2013, now, first of all, we were accused of basically being overly optimistic about our ability to gain a contract. Although, no, I'll get into some of the statements the staffing companies made 
We never made statements that we had a current or impending contract. And actually, in 2008 and 9, when we did actually have a, a pending contract, uh, AUSA Curse scuttled that business. So they took our business optimism. We had a great product. We still do have a great product, uh, I should say. But the government took our optimism to say, well, you guys really didn't have any reason to be that optimistic. So you guys were just stringing these staffing companies along to get some temporary labor. Well, we didn't get paid except for the uh, minimum amount of work we did. The money went directly to employees of the staffing companies who did work at our, our business. We didn't get the money. So uh, that's a fact that cannot be denied. has been confirmed by the government's own uh, forensic accountant. Uh, now, uh, in a 2013 case, uh, another corporation by the name of Delta Petroleum came before Judge Arguello. They were accused of fraud uh, against investors. And Judge Arguello made this statement and dismissed the case of fraud, uh, which shows a double standard that she has for wealthier white corporations versus smaller black corporations. Her words specifically in dismissing the case, Judge Argoyle said, a corporation's self-praise about its business strategy plays no serious role in market participants' evaluation of potential investments. She went on to say, Argoyle went on to say, reasonable investors do not normally rely on vague, optimistic statements in making investment decisions. To that point, people don't extend credit based on vague, optimistic statements they extend credit based on as they do with every consumer and every business based on credit worthiness credit checks bank reference checks that's what was done in our case and that when when former federal appeals judge says H. Lee Serkin says our debt was criminalized he was exactly right Judge Arguello refused with Delta Petroleum a company run by white executives, she refused to allow their case to move forward based on investors' displeasure and, they, and losing money. But when it came to a small African-American company, a very innovative, promising company, she decided our optimism and the government decided, uh, no, no, uh, you guys are no good, you're just a bunch of fraudsters. Uh, you can't be optimistic about a software. Really, you guys ought to be running a landscaping company or a janitorial company. That's all you're really good for. And, and that's how I took it. That's how I see it. And uh, uh, we got, we got, there's a whole lot more to this story that we're going to be talking about, including the staffing company's own statements that destroyed the government's case at trial. And still, Judge Arguello refused to dismiss the case. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Uh, Samson, your thoughts of what you've heard thus far. Uh, listen, we've been doing this show quite some time. We've been over and over this story. Every time we hear it, it seems brand new. That's because the actions are so unbelievable that this actually happened in a courtroom in this country. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, everything we're hearing tonight about the actions of this judge, about 
of the AUSA, um, they're absolutely egregious. I mean, how can you sit here? I mean, the example that David just gave here is spot on. How can it be where you have some white-collar business that's out there, you know, run by white people, and their case gets tossed, it gets overturned, it gets whatever. No, no prison time, no anything like that. But now here it is, you know, you have a smaller company full of, you know, black executives with one Italian-American, and they somehow get their the facts misconstrued, which is a lie if they would ever say that. They don't even allow the facts into the courtroom, and these men wind up doing eight years in a federal penitentiary. I mean, to hear it, I mean, yeah, yeah, we've done show after show about the IRP-5, but the fact of the matter is every time you hear it, it's just like, how in the world could a judge that sits on the bench and is supposed to do this for a living, how could anybody with any smear of a conscience make that kind of decision? And it's the fact of the matter is that the judge, Judge Arguello, Matthew Kirsch, that whole team, they were all slighted against this from the word go. Now, were some of the larger software uh, technology companies behind it? That's for, you know, up for speculation. Do I believe it? Absolutely, because the fact of the matter is, is they don't like competition. When they've been, we, we talked about it in some of the previous shows how much money the government invested and they were delivered nothing. But yet here we have a group of men that came together and they had a product that was 85% ready to go to market from the word go. They don't want that kind of competition at their front doorstep. Well, on top of that, it's one thing to go in a courtroom where war is, is waged on both sides. But what makes this so egregious, the game was fixed. From the beginning. Absolutely. I mean, when you sit there and you have, I think Dave Zappola said he basically had to almost shout to get somebody to take a binder full of evidence at the grand jury. But the problem here, this was not a fair trial. Absolutely. Had this trial been fair, as David uh, cited, that this petroleum company had every right to believe in their product mm-hmm. if you're not the IRP-5. They had every right to believe and to be in a trial that was fair for both sides if you were not the IRP-5. That's true, but I mean, the fact of the matter is, if justice was truly blind... If they had really been given a, a fair trial, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here having this discussion Listen, right now. These guys would have walked out absolutely of a courtroom found not guilty by the jury, yep. probably in a very quick period of time. May have set a record for coming back with an acquittal if the information had been allowed. You cannot tell me, I will reiterate this again, that the senior FBI agent of 30 years said this is a viable product. Had that been allowed to the jury, different outcome. You take the, uh, David, we talked about the pending business in, the, in Philadelphia. Right. Uh, with the Inspector General's office, 
excited, ready to go. They were probably moments away from getting this done till the government of the United States left its role and committed prosecutional misconduct and blackballed these guys. Had that not happened, there is not even corporate debt because the money begins to flow based upon the product, the sweat, the tears, the sleepless nights that were done building this software. I'm telling you, to not guilty. Why then does a federal judge go to such lengths to make sure the jury does not hear anything that supports their case? You tell the jury when they come in the courtroom to vote their conscience. When you come back with a verdict, follow your heart, the conscience of right and wrong. You tell them that and leave the right off the table, allow only the wrong. There you have a wrongful conviction of these men. David. You mentioned uh, Philadelphia Police Department, and this occurred. uh, We had actually had impending contracts being signed, uh, uh, preparing to be signed with the city of Philadelphia, both the police department and the inspector general's uh, department. I think it's uh, appropriate. Let me read just a little bit um, about uh, some email communications between the deputy mayor of justice and public safety for the city of Philadelphia. Um, His name was Everett Gillison. Uh, in an email communication, after I showed him our search warrant module, what we did, I offered him the search warrant module at no cost. IBM at the time uh, was doing a contract to modernize uh, the Philadelphia Police Department's uh, system. But they were failing, and they were they had already overrun their budgets, and they were behind schedule. And they were failing, and one of the key areas they were failing on was the search warrant. So I sent a letter to the deputy mayor, uh, Everett Gillison, and I said, look, uh, we didn't even know about it. We just happened at that time to be uh, selling certain models at a time so we can make money to pay our bill. So when the ma- I set a scheduled meeting with the deputy mayor, and he immediately called over the director of IT, Jerry Cardenas, from the city of Philadelphia to view the software. Within two weeks, we had their search warrant module done and incorporated into the software. We were actually asked to work by the director of IT with IBM. Well, we were concerned about that, and I – and. In an email I sent to him, he said, I'd like to keep our initial meeting only with you and other Philly city, uh, Philly officials. I don't want a competitor reviewing our solution at this point. At this point, once we are able to review the full scope of your requirements, we can discuss a workable plan that works for the city, uh, police department, and IRP solutions, then proceed with additional action items and meetings that might include uh, IBM is what I was discussing. Now, in another email communication, we also had... That's why we need a documentary. We also had an engagement with the inspector general's office. Um, and Laura, the, the chief investigator sent me an email that all of the office of inspector general staff is very excited about this venture. Now, we were offering them the software 
implementation at no cost, but they would have to pay for customizations and support uh, starting the following year. And they get a year free support. That way we would be able to pay our bills, which was of the utmost importance to us, to pay our debt. Uh, that was up until AUSA Kirsch decided he was going to contact the city of Philadelphia and scuttle our business, specifically telling them an indictment was coming. The OIG's uh, office communicated to me that they were very disappointed. They said it was just an investigation. We could move forward. But uh, they expressed to me that they were very disappointed, but they just couldn't move forward after they received a call from the Colorado U.S. Attorney's Office, specifically Matthew Kirsch, that says an indictment was coming. Well, you haven't even presented. You had already uh, lost an indictment, didn't get the, the first indictment. This was your, your second bite at the apple. And you're going to tell them six months before you go to a grand jury that an indictment was coming? But he knew what he was going to do because he wouldn't call any witnesses. He only going to call an FBI agent so he could guarantee an indictment against us. And now his self-fulfilling prophecy, uh, or he could try to bolster his theory at that point, he wouldn't let our business, because if we had uh, finished the business with the city of Philadelphia, money would have been flowing in, bills would have been paid, the government's case get destroyed. Whoever hired him, in my view, to come after us, and to bring this, this uh, false prosecution, it would, have, it would have destroyed his prosecution. He had to do something, and he scuttled the business with the city of Philadelphia and, and, and then indicted us uh, four to five months later. Well, a question for Matthew Kirsch. When did you sell out? How much did you get paid? You're a disgrace to the office of any attorney. How do you go to a company and the fact that John Walsh, it speaks to your character as well as you go to private practice or do whatever it is you do. You guys have no ethics. You're a disgrace to the office. You're a disgrace. How do you go to a, to, to a city, a state, and say an on upcoming indictment, David, if I'm correct, was came six months later yeah approximately five months later four to from four to six months later we were indicted so he didn't even present a true bill present to the grand jury and request an indictment until months later after he told the city of philadelphia that an indictment was coming but he lied and just judge serkin says it brings and alan dean says well the old adage that you can indict a ham sandwich his case the case was so weak in the beginning that he didn't have a case that they lost they weren't able to get the indictment the first time. So they retooled, added a new FBI agent, uh, scuttled our business with the city of Philadelphia, kept us where we couldn't pay our bills by interfering w- w- with our customers and potential clients, and then uh, indicts us and says, you guys never intended to pay. This is all a big scheme. And, and, and then continued this railroad job all the way through trial with the acquiescence of a federal judge. But this is what is so egregious. To our listeners, you did this knowing there was pending business. You knew Philadelphia was getting ready to close. That's what you knew. He should be arrested and picked up. But remember, the indictment said current or impending contract. Well, 
we had a Kerner, we had an impending contract. So even the indictment was was fraudulent. We're going to get back to that, Cliff. We got a caller. Yes, we Coming have. Back uh, to you, David. Uh, we have Pastor Banks that wants to make a comment. Uh, Pastor Banks, thanks for calling. You're live. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I'm laying here this evening, listening to this show, and I can't help but cry when I look at the injustice done to our men and a corrupt judge. Uh, Christine Arguello ought to be put in prison for what she did to these men. And you listen to that stuff, and it feels like you are opening up a wound and starting the bleeding all over again. And when you hear this, I hope everybody that hears this story about the RP5 will understand and come together. It needs to be a petition put out there for that judge and that prosecutor should be put in prison for what they did. They took away eight years of our guys' lives away from their families, put them in prison with all these unbelievable lies they told. Then you're going to go around, then you're going to tell the jury that they never intended to pay why you, why the jury did not know that you were the one going to all their potential clients and telling them don't do business with them. You're going to take us into a court of law, so you call, and say uh, uh, these men never intended to pay. You went out and, and literally undermined these men's ability to be able to pay every person. How many money did they, how much money did they pay that prosecutor Matthew Kirsch, a terrible crook, and and a, a federal judge sitting on a bench that's supposed to be showing what justice is all about? What did she go to law school for so she could put black men in prison? This is the most unbelievable story. We lived it, and it still sounds hard. And when I hear it tonight, I'm thinking, I cannot fight the tears from running down my face to say, look at this. There should be a petition put out there. Some people need to sign on to it saying what they hear on this case, something should be done about it. They had to pay that crooked judge a large sum of money for her to fight to put these men in prison and then tell the jury there was no more evidence. When they asked for it, she told them there was no more evidence. It makes me sick to my stomach when I hear this stuff. And you took away their lives. These were young men working hard, never broke any laws, and you put them in prison because you got a paycheck from somebody. And include that crooked prosecutor who tried to bring our church down, then turn, turn around and tell uh, one, one, one of the uh, attorneys, don't let anything come out about that church. Uh, if we do, we'll lose the case. Y'all are some of the most demonic people I've ever seen in my life. I cannot believe you could go home and sleep at night when you de- literally destroy a person's life and knew you de- and knew you destroyed it. I am sickened by what I hear, and I hope people that listen to this program will definitely let their voices be heard and how shocking this whole thing is that they did this, all this evidence land in your favor, and they traveled overseas to undermine you. Every time you got ready to close business, those crooked FBI men was right there undermining everything. 
They're part of the crooked government. Don't you tell me for a minute that this government is fair and just. That is the most horrendous lie that you could ever hear. And am I upset about it? I'm very upset. How could you do this? And you look at all this evidence in these men's cases, even with uh, even with that FBI guy out of Denver who was over customs, he want to ask the judge, Can I, do I have to answer that? That should have made the jury say, well, if it's your affidavit, why wouldn't you answer it? And you let him get off with that, how crooked you are. I pray that the judgment of God comes down on this judge and this prosecutor, and nobody, nobody can give justice like God can. But that makes me sick when I think about it. I cannot believe all these lies upon lies, and then and then portraying it to the jury that these are crooks and they never intended to pay. We the bills could have been paid if you'd have kept your rotten nose out of it. And that crooked judge should be taken off the bench, and the prosecutor should never be able to practice law again. This is the most horrendous thing I've ever seen in my life. I am sickened by it. And I hope the people that's hearing this feel exactly the way I feel as a mother. At 75 years old, you took away eight years of my son's lives from me that I could have spent with them and their families all because of your greed for money. How many more judges are being paid behind the closed doors to put innocent people in prison? Something needs to be done about it in this country. This is unbelievable. It's like a science fiction movie that's not real, but except it is it is real. This is unbelievable. And and if we should be outraged by it, rightfully so, because you didn't even give them a fair trial. That lie about you're going to get a fair trial is a lie. It is no, it's not true. How many other people did you put in prison who never got a fair trial? Just give us a fair trial. You wouldn't have nobody to put to, to, uh, uh, to put in prison. This thing is sickening to me. And I hope the people listening to this program will understand what it did to our family, to the people that was close to these men and didn't consider nothing about their children or nobody. You were so busy getting paid. I pray that God curse every penny you got because you don't deserve to have anything. And you sure don't deserve to be on that bench and say you there for justice. That is a joke. It is a joke. There is no justice in this country. If you ain't, if you got enough money, you can pay your way out of prison. There's no justice. At any time, we say justice is justice, and you can pay it, and you can pay it a dollar for it. It ain't justice. And you see these people that's millionaires and 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 got plenty of money. That Mark Garrigo sitting on the sidelines somewhere after he ripped us off of a hundred fifty thousand dollars. And then he goes in with this other with this other attorney who represented uh, uh, a President Trump's uh, little little tramp that he was with. <clears throat> and you know what? He paid his way out for a million dollars. Everybody don't have a million dollars, but they shouldn't have to pay their way out. We should hear that jury should have been allowed to hear every bit of the evidence on our side, as well as they heard all the lies you told. And then try to bring in staffing companies and say, after you've told them already that that you're being ripped off. Y'all are some of the most corrupt people I've ever met in my blame life. 
And I pray to God I live and see the day that people like this who took away other people's lives will be put in prison for as many years while she made her vote, yo, your life is in my hand. I'm here to tell you, no, it's not. Everybody, everybody on this planet, life is in God's hands. Since when, because you a judge, you got so much authority and power to say these men's lives are in your hands, and you've done them a dirty deal as a result of it. But one day it will come back to you, and the God we serve somehow will judge you for what you did to these men and taking away their lives. I can't believe it. And, and thank you for taking my call. And thank you, Pastor Banks. Outrage noted and justified. How is it that this happens in a land and a system that we call justice? Pastor Banks' point, justice is green. And for whatever uh, motivates people to do these things, again, Act upon act. These folks, number one, should be disbarred. And perhaps Mr. Mr. Matthew Kirsch may have had one too many drinks coming back into that courtroom as people seen it. Why? This is a man of no character, no integrity. We will continue to expose it. And you say Matthew Kirsch, Federal Judge Christine Arguello did these things. David, go ahead. Yeah, it's just, uh, uh, like I said, it's tragic. I hear my mom's voice. It's just very, I don't even know what to say. Uh, the damage that was done, the pain and the suffering and the hurt that these people do when they abuse their power. It can't be understated. George Floyd is dead because some cop abuses power. We lost years in prison because people are abusing their power and there's no check on them. Don't, you can't police yourselves. No, nobody should be allowed to police themselves, but our system of justice or so-called justice is set up where there, you're policed by your friends. It's a crony system of justice. By and large, uh, you get some uh, some of these incidents sneak through the cracks, and because of public pressure, some of these people get prosecuted, but those cases are rare. But Americans just need to be aware of how this system really works and how much of a front organization in many instances it is, and what's, going, what's, what's presented out there as a front is not what really happens uh, behind the scenes. And But you prosecute the innocent. It's not like you walked in a courtroom and said, Fair game. Who wins at the end is who makes the argument to the jury. Everything's on the table. Except in this case, there were no plates or silverware for the RP5. They were left with nothing to present a defense. Yet they did well enough to win it. Outside of a corrupt judge. Unbelievable at every sense of the word. 
And I share Pastor Banks' outrage. You just can't believe, as she stated, you go into a courtroom, tell the jury they never intended to obey when you behind the scenes was blocking any form of payment happening. He might as well have gone to, say, for instance, as an analogy, he might as well have gone into every pocket of the RP5, took their wallets, and said they have no money. That's exactly what it is. It is a crime. What Judge Aguayo done, John Walsh, Matthew Kirsch, Sunetta Hazra, these are criminals hiding behind a title. Say what you want. It's real. Hang on. This is AJC Radio. We're back after this. If you don't stop your friend from drinking and driving, you're as good as dead. Drinking and driving can kill a friendship. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talents and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Cameron Stage, and I'm afraid I'll be killed by police. Not all police, just one police officer who fears first life and thinks I have a gun. I'm afraid I'll match the description of someone who called 911. The police will arrive, and before I know it, I'll be dead. Not all cops are bad, but for me, all it takes is one who is afraid for his life, and that leaves me dead. He could have had a pristine record up until that, but if he's afraid that day, that means it's the end for me. He could have been a bad cop his whole entire career and not be afraid, that means the end for me. I used to think this wouldn't happen to me because I'm a law-abiding citizen. I won't ever be doing anything or be anywhere I shouldn't be. I'll comply with officers, but that doesn't always seem to be the case. Here's some examples of what black people were doing when they were killed by police. Selling CDs outside of a supermarket selling cigarettes outside of a corner store, walking home with a friend, missing a front license plate, riding a commuter train, holding a fake gun in a park in Ohio, holding a fake gun in a Walmart in Ohio, holding a fake gun in Virginia, calling for help after a car accident, driving with a broken brake light, failing to signal a lane change, walking away from police, walking toward police, running to the bathroom in your apartment building, walking up the stairwell of your apartment building, sitting in your car before your bachelor party, holding your wallet, not wearing a seatbelt in police custody, attending a birthday party, laughing. 
The thing that makes me most afraid is I'll be afraid. I don't know what I'll do if a police officer has a gun pointed at me and is shouting instruction. I'm afraid I'll move too fast, too slow, not fast enough. I'll reach for something he asked me to reach for, and he'll think it's a gun. I'm afraid I won't be calm, and me not being calm could be the end of me. I'm afraid that I can die in front of my wife or children or both. I'm afraid my children will be somewhere without me and suffer the same fate. I'm afraid the police officer will be in plain clothing so they won't even recognize that this is a police officer and they don't respect him and treat him like the authority he is because they don't know he is. And here's what's going to happen if I die. People will comment on a post about me and here's what they'll say. If he would have just done this, he would be alive today. If he would have just done that, he'd be alive today. All you have to do is listen to police and you'll be fine. If you would have just listened to the officer's orders, he'd be here today. If you care so much, why don't you care about what's happening in Chicago? What about black on black crime? Don't you care about that? The media will find the worst picture of me to use. And since I don't have any brushes with the law or mugshots, they'll find the most menacing or intimidating photo they can use. They won't use any of my wife or children or my family because that doesn't tell the story that they want to tell. Tammy Lauren will get on TV and tell them it was my fault, or Glenn Beck, or Sean Hannity, or Rush Limbaugh will get on the radio. Fox News will have a field day with me. They'll say, we don't have all the facts. The video doesn't clearly show. You don't know. What if he was? It looked like he was. You can't tell clearly. We can't see what's in his right hand or left hand. You don't know what the officers were feeling. The NRA won't protect me or protest my death, even if I say I'm a licensed gun owner and I tell the police officer that when he pulls me over. The video will be posted all over the internet in a matter of seconds, and whether or not you want to see it, you will see my dead body lying on the ground or a video of an officer shooting me or me dying live on Facebook. And then people will say it's not about race. We're all one people. All lives matter. And then life will go on. That's the scariest thing. After a while, life will go on. The officers may or may not get arrested. More than likely, they won't be convicted. More than likely, they won't even be indicted. And before you can totally mourn my death, it'll happen again. That's why I'm afraid. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as, I'll tell you what, folks, one of the most troubling shows, and we've done many, the most troubling show, in my opinion, in the history of AJC Radio as we, again, continue to unmask the facade of justice in our criminal justice system today, namely behind the mask. Federal Judge Christine Aguayo, AUSA Matthew Kirsch, John Walsh, Sonetta Hazra, and we're just getting started. I'll tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of stuff going on in this political season. And everybody has something to say. President Barack Obama front and center right now during an election season. Let me be clear. President Obama appointed U.S. Attorney John Walsh, who was the 
ringleader, if you will, of this injustice and corruption. Barack Obama appointed this type of U.S. attorney. When the RP5 reached out to President Obama, he didn't have any time. He didn't care. When Judge Sarakin sent a request to Barack Obama, this is a federal judge, to look at this case because it was so egregious. In the words of federal judge uh, Sarakin, he writes in one of his writings, he cannot help but believe that a huge miscarriage of justice happen in this case. This is not a judge straight out of law school. 60 years on the bench. 60 years in the system and a federal judge and a federal appellate judge as well, plenty, plenty of experience, reached out to Barack Obama, then President Obama, and President Barack Obama did nothing. He did nothing. But he appointed the same corrupt U.S. attorney that brought this injustice with his crew. Go ahead, David. It can't be understated. I'm, I've lost respect for a lot of politicians, and to say I have uh, disdain for... President Obama is an understatement. It's the guy I voted for the first time. I couldn't vote the second time because I was imprisoned by his U.S. attorney. Uh, but when a federal, former federal appeals judge, Harvard graduate, uh, sits on the bench for 17 years, practices law for 60 years, sends a personal letter to Barack Obama saying this is uh, the worst after commenting, this is the worst injustice he's seen in sitting 60 years on the bench. And Obama does nothing about it. Uh, I, I can recall a just cause actually sent, also sent uh, Judge Sarakin's letter to Obama's uh, White House attorney's office. Obama knew about this case. He knew what occurred. Uh, Judge Sarakin broke it down in his letter to Obama what occurred and how the prosecutor presented two wholly inconsistent theories to the jury. And that and went on to tell President Obama that the that we had been indicted and imprisoned for failing to pay corporate debt. Obama did absolutely nothing. He was too busy uh placating the uh LGBTQ community uh community to free uh Chelsea Manning. And and others. I, I'm sorry, but when you, when a federal judge uh, sends you a letter uh, telling you that an egregious injustice has occurred on his watch by one of his prosecutors, an independent judge, and you do nothing about it, yet uh, they bring in other witnesses, not only during... Uh, Judge Kavanaugh's Supreme Court hearing, they bring in a witness who couldn't remember anything, and everybody takes the witness seriously. They bring in uh, uh, funsy witnesses, even in, in, the, in the Trump administration. Everybody wants to believe them because it's politically advantageous to believe these witnesses. But when a federal judge, which is the most credible whistleblower you can actually get, 
comes and tells you about what's occurred to an African-American company. And President Barack Obama paid homage uh, and lip service to what he felt about African-Americans. All that stuff was nonsense. When you had a chance to do something, you did absolutely nothing. And I, like I said, I stand, uh, and I know I speak for the rest of the IRP5, that we just have no respect for President Barack Obama. Uh, in fact, uh, in our view, he's just he's just a politician, hyper-political politician who cares about himself and just presents things and puts words out there and speaks well, but really doesn't do anything uh, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the rubber meets the road. Yeah, and, I mean, you look at uh, President Obama being the first African-American president, and what did he do for the African-American people that without us, he would not have made it into office? But what did he actually do? Uh, I mean, the the way that he went out of his way, like you said, David, for the LGBTQ community, went out of his way to ensure that they knew he were uh, that he was on their side. When African-American issues came up, he always said, well, I'm the, I'm the president of all people. Well, if you're going to be the president of all people, that's like saying all lives matter. Where is your representation of the black people that put you in office? Where is your justice toward black men and women that sat, suffered, uh, falsely were in prison, and you did nothing? Turn the blind eye because you became the worst politician of all kinds. You used the back of your people to carry you into the White House, and then you abandoned us on the lawn and listened to nothing we had to say. Yeah, and this, and this is Kendrick Barnes because I just want to echo an agreement with David Banks. Uh, as a lot of people have stated, I've heard kicked around, is he wasn't, the first, he wasn't really African-American, he's half African because he really doesn't understand the experience of what really happens to black people in this country. And some people have that view about him. It's like he was very late to the game. And disconnected. But the issue is when you hear of an injustice, no matter what your background or where it's from, when you hear an injustice, it is your obligation, especially as a leader of a country who says that we're governed in this country by laws, not by a personality or a king, but by laws. When you hear that the law is not working for each citizen, you don't have a concern when, it, when, a, when a retired federal judge feels the need. To raise an alarm that there's an egregious wrong here, you don't feel the need to say, hey, at least let me respect and call this guy, contact him, say, okay, well, right. what is this? You get nothing? So, I mean, I, I, I do lose respect for him and anyone who doesn't care about justice for people that you say, hey, I'm leading you. Well, it states here that Obama uh, was given opportunity to grant clemency to the IRP-6 after former federal appeals judge H. Lee Sarakin, retired third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, sent him a personal letter telling him that the IRP-6 were not only innocent, but also victims of an unjust conviction and incarceration due to government misconduct. Judge Sarakin, who exhaustively reviewed the case, including trial records, said the wrongful conviction of the IRP-6 was the worst injustice he'd ever witnessed in over 60 years in law. The government's contention that their business was a scam defies reality. These are the words of federal judge, from federal judge, actually serving 60 years in law. And how does that letter 
go ignored by the first African-American president in this country. And you ignore it? I'll give you some advice, Barack Obama. Be quiet. You have no political stance. You are political in that alone. That's right. And that is based upon the actions. It is what it is. Your actions say that. Don't don't point a finger at us as an advocacy, as a just cause. Well, why would you say that to Barack Obama? Because he is what he is. His actions show that in, the, in not doing what he needs to do right by the RP5. Cliff, we got a caller? Yes, Pastor Banks uh, has another comment. Now, Pastor Banks, thanks for calling back. You're live. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I wanted to also um, agree with them with this Obama issue. I, I, I've been hearing him talking about we need leadership in the White House. Well, what was he? We didn't get nothing from him. These, uh, the black people of this country put that black boy in the White House, and he threw all of us uh, under the bus. He could care less about black people as if he's not black. I, I'm starting to wonder, is he really black? Because all this junk that went down, and he's out here talking about what Trump ain't no leader. He ain't no leader. Well, what's, did, were you the great leader of all time? I don't think so. I think a, 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 a president that don't even care about his own people. You knew the black people suffered in this country for years. You would have think that you would have took the, took the chance to try to make some things right for your own people. We as the black people better open our eyes and look and see why y'all out there talking about where the Democratic Party is, is for the black people. Well, I'll show me. The first time we had a black uh, uh, African-American president in the White House, he didn't do a cotton-picking thing. But now you out here talking about we need leadership. I kind of would like to have seen you doing some leadership. I ain't seen nothing from you. And to let our guys rot in prison for eight years while you sit in the White House uh, coming down walking real cute. Get, Get up with the cute walk. Just go ahead and do a job. Thank you. And thank you, Pastor Banks. Look, it is, listen. And to her point, you're out here pointing the finger at President Trump. I can tell you this fact. Through the first step that, Clint Stewart walked out of a prison because President Trump did something. Yes, he did. And that release, Clint, went viral. Yes, it did. Three and a half million views of that video. I, that tells me President Trump did something. He did something. He did the right thing. And he got that done. When, when we appealed, my daughter appealed to President Barack Obama because he had daughters her, her, her age. And so we have him on record. We're not just talking. He did not respond except after he left office. In a letter back to my daughter, saying, trying to defend his his resume, saying he's worked on prison reform all his career, and that your dad, insinuating in the letter, your dad has to do his time. Why? 
if a federal judge has appealed to you, which he's never done that before, that federal judge, H. Lee Sterkin, never did that for any other case. He, he went on record for our case. And Barack Obama is on record with his response to my daughter. And it's, no, he's got to, he's got to stay in prison. Well, and, and that, that speaks to the comments by Pastor Ben. Don't care. President Barack Obama was concerned about one thing, his legacy. Well, your legacy is sadly missing some key ingredients. Starts with the RP5. Not only did federal judge actually Sarah can appeal to the president, we received confirmation from our contacts on Capitol Hill that a letter from Congressman Danny Davis's office made it to President Barack Obama. Well, that's what we were told. So you didn't only enjoy and ignore a federal judge. You ignored a member of Congress of your own party. But you're about the people. It's a joke. And all of a sudden, four years later, you're all over the place talking and kneeling and doing what you can do politically with Joe Biden. Where were you doing your term? You're a citizen. You're a citizen now. When you could have helped, you failed to. It is what it is. David? Well, like I said, we'll uh, uh, move on. Like I said, I think we've exhausted uh, Barack Obama, but uh, I think people need to know what from the top of the government to the bottom of the government, what type of stuff went on here? The bottom line is the indictment against us was a fraud. It was proven by a fraud to be a fraud by the government's own witnesses. Now, we mentioned earlier that uh, the prosecutor in the indictment said that we made false representations about having a large and pending contract and those statements, in turn, induced these companies to extend us credit and to sign agreements to provide temporary services or contract uh, temporary labor to us. Now, real quickly, I'm going to go down. I, I said, now, Judge Arguello had an opportunity to dismiss the case once the government's witnesses disproved the government's indictment. He couldn't get his own witnesses to say that they were induced by these alleged statements, uh, nor could he even find the alleged statements made. Uh, His entire case was predicated on witness testimony and him attempting, uh, both Walsh and Kirsch attempting to get these witnesses to implicate us in uh, fraudulent uh, representations. Now, I'm just going to go into a few of them uh, that that will tell you that the judge Arguello should have dismissed this case when the witnesses said some of the following. In an excerpt from day two of the trial, uh, a staffing witness from a deco told the government that I, David Banks, made a believer out of him because I was very good at articulating where we were going and where he was going with us and what was going to happen and the possibility of, of us all making money. Now, the government asked uh, the ADECO representatives 
if Banks' comments constituted a contract with the large law enforcement agency? The reply was no. Okay, so where's the inducement that the government said was in the indictment? Uh, another guy said he treated IRP, and this is another staffing. These are government witnesses. Uh, he treated IRP as an investment that might lead to more profitable business. Uh, and that he was told not anything about a contract, but they were supporting applications. That Clinton Stewart actually told him they were supporting applications for criminal justice systems and pursuing business with New York. These are in documents, the FBI 302. Where's the mention of a contract that the government claimed what was going on here? There was none. Uh, another lady from a staffing company said that their staffing company, as is customary, rely heavily on Dun & Bradstreet credit reports. They check credit. And then she told the FBI, in, which is in the FBI report, that I, David Banks, told her that IRP was trying, I say again, uh, quote, trying to secure a contract. Where, if I'm saying we're trying to secure a contract, I didn't say we had a current or impending contract. Uh, so as we go down, through, we could go down through almost all of the government, government's witnesses, one lady saying that she assumed there was a contract in place. The government case failed miserably. And other, uh, other witnesses said, well, they, they weren't induced. They said that the Dun & Bradstreet or the credit report is used to make a determination to extend credit. So how can the credit department make a determination when we never discussed anything with the credit department and submit credit references? And, but the government said, well, you induced this lady into extending credit. She didn't extend credit. The credit department did. This is, a, this is something that played out through the entire government presentation. Yet, and when we asked Judge Arguello to dismiss the case under Rule 29C, of course, we were pro se, she refused to, and she actually admitted in open court that we had impeached all of the government's witnesses. Well, if all the government witnesses are untruthful, why isn't the case against us dismissed? And you've heard the testimony that refuted the government's central charge in the testimony. That's because she wouldn't dismiss the case because the railroad job was in. They had to get us in prison, get us out, out, eliminate the competition, and get rid of us. And that, at the, at the end of the day, that's what it was all about. David, hey, Dave, excuse me, Dave Zapolo. Yeah, this is Dave Zapolo. And one of the witnesses that was on the stand, the uh, prosecution specifically asked the witness uh, when that staffing company spoke with me, did I tell them that we had contracts? This witness specifically remembered. He said, oh, no, I met with Mr. Zapolo in his office, and he told me he had contracts with the federal government and NYPD. The prosecution then asked the witness, can you point out Mr. Zapolo in the courtroom? The witness looked throughout the whole courtroom and then said, no, I'm the only white executive at the company. I'm the only white person sitting at the defendant's table, and he still couldn't pick me out. But he specifically remembered meeting with me and me telling him we had contracts. Was he impeached? He was impeached. And one quick question. If the witness was impeached, was an explanation to the jury made by Judge Arguello what it meant to it what it meant to impeach a witness? Not that I can recall. No. And, and Mont, uh, one more key to, to what Dave is saying. 
going back to introducing our defense into evidence. Uh, David, myself, uh, would impeach. Uh, this is Demetrius Harper, sorry. Um, and we would, in, in regards to impeachment, we would have that information to, to put into evidence. She would not allow the emails that stated that there was no mention in, of a contract. There was no mention of, of, of anything of that nature, and that was the part of the indictment. And when we tried to enter those evidence, when we did impeach the witness to enter that in evidence, she said there was no need and was not allowed. Okay. So the average person coming into a courtroom has no idea what it means if a witness is impeached. That means all credibility. The jury is to be instructed that the witness is impeached on the record and their testimony is highly doubtful or questionable. That is the, that is the role of the judge, to inform the jury of that fact. And my understanding is many witnesses were impeached. You tell the jury, Your Honor, Judge, let me advise the jury that this witness was just impeached by the defense, which means their testimony is highly doubtful and questionable. You put that in the ear of a juror, you're not going to consider what they're lying about. This is absolutely insane. It's insane. And it goes again to the actions of this judge. You're not fit, Christine Aguayo, to sit on a bench in a court of law. You're not fit to do traffic court, let alone trying cases. This is that ridiculous. This is that egregious. And we've been on this show we're going on two hours with action upon action after action of clear abuse of power in a proceeding. Absolutely unbelievable. Dennis, your thoughts as we get ready to close this show. God, it makes you so angry. It really does. Uh, it, it, it blows your mind how a, refer- a judge should be a referee, but yet they're playing on the same team as the attorney. And no matter how you look at it, there's a conspiracy here involved. I, I, you know, no one wants to just say that, but it, we, we got to be honest. I mean, uh, some big company uh, somehow got involved. There was some payments made and uh, took advantage of a small black company and uh, took away their ability to, uh, you know, uh, prosper or do what they were going to do so it's just sad but we're going to continue uh, to talk about it put it out there so people understand that there was truly a grave injustice done to these men and uh, it, it, we got to right this wrong and the only way we can do it is get it out there. Uh, we're going to absolutely do that folks what you've heard tonight is absolutely overwhelming and we're still in chapter one we're not even close to done I'll echo the words of Pastor Banks. This is criminal. It's criminal. You can give it whatever nice words you want to get. It goes beyond incompetent. It goes beyond unethical. This is criminal. 
the actions of a, uh, John Walsh, U.S. attorney then, you'll be exposed. Matthew Kirsch, just getting started. Zanetta Hazra, just getting started. Folks, tune in next week. Story continues at the RP5. This is AJC Radio. Good night. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say, we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. A long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land.